Here's everything you might have missed in Rick and Morty Season 6, Episode 9. Welcome back to Nerdist News. I'm Dan Casey, and today we're breaking down the latest episode of Rick and Morty. Titled A Rick and King Mortar's Mort, this sci-fantasy adventure turns everybody's favorite grandson into a grandson on the grandest son of them all. Okay, so it's son with a U. We're going to explore the deeper meaning of this episode and break down everything you might have missed in just a moment, but to do so, you have to spoil what happens. So if you haven't seen it yet and you're worried about that sort of thing, well, leave now before things get uncomfortable. Sunquad. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? The penultimate episode of the season delivered more classic Rick and Morty, whatever the hell that means. I'm so sick of that f***ing note, what the f*** does it even mean? This episode is named for Mark Twain's 1889 novel, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, in which an engineer travels back in time to the Dark Ages and uses his advanced knowledge to try and modernize things and do away with outdated traditions and superstitions. Here, though, it's Morty who winds up being transported back to a version of Camelot, which is just as silly as Monty Python promised. While Rick definitely tags along for the ride, Morty's the one in the driver's seat for much of this episode for better and for worse. At first, Morty is thrilled to be given his own song by the Knights of the Sun and, hilariously enough, a nickname with three syllables like Mortaniel, even though his name is short for Mortimer, which has three syllables. Another fun detail is that the Knights of the Sun are voiced by the likes of Daniel Radcliffe and a mini peep show reunion of David Mitchell, Robert Webb, and Matt King. Unfortunately for Morty, his new powers would come at a cost. He has to cut off his wiener and yeet it into the sun. Okie In this case, the tradition of shearing the stump medieval for chopping off your own seems to be a stand-in for circumcision. Except in this case, the knights are left with no skin, all of Theon Greyjoy, which is fitting given how Game of Thronesy this episode feels. Case in point, Daniel Radcliffe's character even looks like Samwell Tarly. Oh, quite literally. Whereas last week's episode was concerned with being so pissed at the world that it literally kills you, this week's about cutting off your own dick to get what you want because society tells you to. Well, sort of. It's about how some traditions may seem stupid on their face, but that sense of tradition is actually the glue holding things together. And while they can change over time, that change often comes with violent upheaval if it isn't implemented carefully. Oh, that stinks this night. Ah! Although, with that said, this episode reaches nowhere near the levels of pathos and bathos from last week. But maybe that's for the best considering what an emotional dick punch Pissmaster wound up being. What this episode does shockingly well is show us that Rick is actually capable of meaningful change. And to be fair, this isn't the first time he's tried to stop Morty from cutting off his own Remember in Promortius? Can I get a laser whip? Okay, but there's no way you don't chop your dick off. Initially, Rick tries to science his way out of this by giving Morty an AI sword that memorizes its opponent's moves. It's kind of like Taskmaster or Tony Stark's armor in Civil War, except it watched Blade, particularly the final fight versus Deacon Frost. It's the perfect weapon, even though no one's trying to ice skate uphill on the sun or basically ice skate at all. It's the sun. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. When Rick and Morty get back home, Rick actually makes a heartfelt commitment to be nicer to Morty. Well, at least 22% nicer, which in Rick's case is evidently a huge shift. Well, I'm, I'm not gonna tell you what percentage of our time together I'm usually mean to you because it'll hurt your stupid feelings, but 22 is substantial. You're gonna feel the difference. Now, perhaps building on his therapeutic breakthrough from last week, Rick makes a concerted effort to be more supportive of his grandson. And while we saw Rick backslide in the final moments of last week's episode, here he maintains his commitment to support his grandson the entire time. 
We've become conditioned to expect a last minute plot twist from Rick, maybe something demeaning or holier than thou, but inarguably cool. And while Rick does help save the day, that undercut never comes, and neither does the wiener cut. Shh, Morty, we're gonna make your dick so fake, buddy. While Rick's efforts are genuine, the whole thing also hilariously winds up being an elaborate excuse to prove that the vat of acid scheme was a valid tactic. That iconic season four episode remains one of the high watermarks of the series. It revolved around Rick coming up with a plan to dive into a fake vat of acid to avoid some space mobsters. Morty found the idea so preposterous and ragged on his grandpa so much that Rick engineered a situation where the only way out of it was for Morty to jump into a fake vat of acid as well. Damn it. Yeah, I guess it is, uh, what did you call it, um, uh, a, a shitty idea? Damn it. So, when Morty mentions the episode by name, it feels like a fun callback, but then the writers pull a fast one on us by actually going there. Eagle-eyed fans may have figured out what was going on when the witch was revealed as the third dong detector. The bones that she throws out to practice scapulomancy look almost exactly like the fake bones that Rick released from within the vat of acid. Damn, the bones nailed it. Okay, so you have spaceships and magic ladies? Another nice detail is the stained glass in the castle at the episode's end. It replicates the exact angle and shot they used in the original vat of acid episode when Rick and Morty were falling into the vat for the very first time. And much like in the original episode, they also used a ladle to verify that it wasn't a vat of fake material. So clearly ladle technology has not kept pace with dong detectors, but you know, probably for the best. Now beyond the patently ridiculous chopping of it all, the episode tackles concepts like religion as a whole and how blind commitment to an ideal or code can keep you in the proverbial dark. It specifically parodies the geocentric model of the universe that was accepted by the Catholic Church until Galileo got all up in their business. Except in this case, the Knights believe the solar scepter is the center of the universe rather than the sun or the earth itself. Well, the scepter. Oh, you mean this old thing? <laughs> and a quick side note, when Morty's explaining the science of the universe to the Knights, Pluto is listed as one of the planets and that's a nice turnaround after the season one episode, something Ricked this way comes. Uh, Pluto's not a planet. They changed it in 2006. Yeah, I heard about that, Morty. And I disagree. But back to the matter at hand. Historically speaking, changing traditions takes time, and to do so too suddenly can lead to violent upheaval. While positive change does come around by the episode's end, it's only after some seriously gruesome bloodshed. When the goodbye blue sky needle drop hits, they do a fantastic job at parodying this violent sequence from Pink Floyd's The Wall. The song itself is a memory of the horrors of World War II mirrored here as Solar War I. It's a depressing appellation that implies this will happen again. Much like in the First World War, the rapid industrialization and mechanization of weapons of war takes archetypes steeped in classical and medieval tropes into the sci-fi future. They go from chariots and trebuchets to battle cruisers, mustard gas, and antimatter hydrogen bombs in the span of several minutes. They even put the Christ back in Christmas by crucifying Santa and burning him at the stake like chestnuts roasting while they open fire. In a nice commitment to the bit, we see that history is written by the victors, as each faction that steals the scepter then chronicles it in their own archives. Some other fun details include the Martians dressing like characters from John Carter of Mars, the Neptunian contingent looks like the Roman god Neptune, and the amazing Jack Black voice one of the Viscounts of Venus. <laughs> Those crusty knights won't do the sun much good without their- <laughs> 
There's also a nice meta moment later on in the episode when Morty asks Rick if they can just hop to another universe. While classic Rick and Morty often jumped around from one universe to the next, this season seems to be about maintaining a semblance of continuity, which is reflected in Rick's personal growth. I don't know, buddy. Feels like we're kind of more about trying out commitment now, you know? And last but not least, we have that ending tag, which is basically a Columbo parody in which a detective stops the trafficking of alien hot dogs. It's a nice way to deflate some of the tension of this episode because the whole time many of us were waiting for the other shoe to drop with Rick. Yeah, I don't know when the other shoe's gonna drop, but this is working pretty good so far. So when Mongo Bongo gets snatched by a giant bird, it's honestly a relief that our expectations are met. Because ultimately, this was an episode about subverting our expectations, and it did that incredibly well. It's also about how sometimes it's easier to go with the flow and let people enjoy the comfort and structure that comes with tradition and superstition. Except when it puts you or your loved ones in harm's way, and then you need to act carefully, because if you're too rash, you too could cause Solar War 1. Because we all know how the world feels about sequels. They love them. What are you doing? A sequel. I don't understand. Yeah, me neither. We pretty much nailed it the first time. Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything we spotted and wanted to delve deeper into in the latest Rick and Morty. We'll be back next week to break down the season finale, but for now, tell us, what did you think of this episode? Did you spot anything that we missed? Yeah, go tell everybody. Your reward's gonna be cutting off your own dick. Right. Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com.